Hi, this is Vijay Yadav, Director of Quantitative Sciences, Head of Data Science at Merck Manufacturing Division, and you are listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill. You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill, and I've got Vijay Yadav on the line today from Merck, uh, specifically the manufacturing division, and you're the head of data science uh, in that uh, group. Is that correct? Thank you, Brian. Yes, uh, indeed, I'm heading data science team at the Merck Manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. So you had reached out to me, and we've been talking a little bit. You're doing this this whole, uh, you know, it's going around, it's, it's like the COVID or something, this product-driven orientation centered around user experience and customer and user, uh, the human in the loop piece, when we're talking about building enterprise data products, specifically with machine learning and analytics. And I thought it would be great to have you on the show to talk about some of the methods you're using, what are some of the results that you're getting from doing things this way. So tell me though, first, like, why do you even care or know about product management and user experience in the realm of data science? Because this is still somewhat of a new thing. Did you always do things this way? Or where is there a moment in time where you switched and said, you know, we're going to borrow some stuff from, you know, software development methodologies and apply that to data science work? How did that happen? Was it a change? Like, give me some of the backstory there. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Brian. So, Indeed, the, the data product management concept, um, I brought in, I have been experienced, you know, prior to joining Merck. Uh, so this has been with me for some time. And I, I think what I have found in my experience in applying the concept is the right way to do. And I think the whole adoption element becomes much more you know, faster. And we'll talk more about that. So let, let me share my experience. What is the driver behind the data product management? So think about any type we are delivering a solution. There are two levels that we want to look at. One is the business level. Why business should take your solution, right? And that is basically about the outcome, the business outcome that solution is providing. So whatever the solution that is being developed as a data product, the very first assumption and nothing requirement is that it is really solving the real problem and giving the outcome you're looking for. But in order to be adopted by any business, any company, let's understand who are the people who are going to use that solution. Now let's talk at that level. At the customer level, a user level, right? Why should they use this solution? What is wrong with the solution they have been using currently in the process, right? So what are we basically giving to them through this solution? Fundamentally, there are a couple of things that is really key. Number one is experience. Are we giving, this solution is giving a different experience than what they have today. So when you talk about the experience, it is in terms of the speed. So think about today, any decision-making process, consumer is taking the data, making certain decisions so that they can achieve the outcome they're looking for, right? So the one number one piece is the speed. So if currently the user is whatever the time they're taking, if the solution is giving much faster speed, yeah, 
that is a factor you want to consider right so that's part of the one component reliability right so how reliable is the solution that is being given for them to make the decision making process compared to the what they have today right so so that and reliability trustworthiness all those elements and also you know one other thing you know brian i say is that they will adopt your solution if you are giving them everything they need so they don't have to go look for work around so think about an existing solution where someone is using excel sheet or whatever the other solution they are using it and you provide them a solution who does half of the things what they were supposed to do now while using this new solution if they have to go back and do some work around and do half of the thing you know for sure they are not going to adopt the solution so the idea here is that data product it gives the best experience possible to the user so they can adopt the solution with the interest and and build upon it right so this whole life cycle of building the solution in a very true north sense so i think those are some of the elements that we want to consider for bringing the data product into the mix while delivering the solution so would you say it's true that the the primary reason you do things this way is to increase adoption is that the problem you try to solve with this methodology is raising the adoption of the usage of these tools that we're creating is that the primary driver such that you can then get the business value yeah absolutely so think about right so we made two attempts that solution is going to deliver the business value meaning it is giving some insights to make a decision to get the outcome but at the very user level right if the user is not going to adopt it then you this the first outcome you're looking for is not going to be there right so i think it is so the adoption is definitely a, a, a big factor in into into this element of having a, a design thinking into the data product that we have yeah it's hard for me because i work in this space to imagine why there would be a reason not to do things this way but there are you know this issue with adoption is a problem in a lot of organizations like do you know why that is and what's the resistance to changing it to doing doing a methodology more like you're talking about which is very much rooted in we have to make someone's life better if we don't make that and like in your case someone on the manufacturing lines if we don't make their work easier faster better some improvement in their life there's no way you're going to get any business return on investment right for the expensive data the modeling work that you did and all this the technical stuff that happens in the background that's just a giant cost sink right why would someone do it that way like what's what are the issues in other organizations that you've worked with or maybe you've had the fortune of not seeing those but it's a problem in a lot of other places yes indeed it is a problem so think about you know data and analytics and data product concept as you said is maturing right this particular concept traditionally what we have seen in the past is that you know if the system needs to be developed you go to the user you take the business analyst and they go back talk to the users and they define the requirements and you just tells them hey this is what i'm looking for you go away you come back and you give a solution at the end and uh you just said yeah i i said exactly at that time but that's not what i meant right yeah so now you are at the very end of thing right now the experience that user expecting somehow it, it never got out of their mind and translated there's there's a thinking right so the aspect of the thinking how the user is thinking what experience they want i think is very difficult to capture in the traditional user requirement aspect and traditionally that is how everybody has been doing right so it's a really important is that not only you capture the requirement you capture the thinking of the user 
how the user will behave if they see a certain way, how they will navigate, things of that nature. I think those are some of the key factors that makes us really to get into the data product where you bring the user thinking into the aspect of that. In the past, we follow very traditional methods. What happens is the end user said, well, I am probably, this is not what I gave, but you know what happens, you deliver, deliver the solution, you know, a team goes away and you know, there's no adoption because the experience they were looking for, they were never there. So I, it is a traditional method of developing a solution in, in, in you know, older days. Now it is, you engage the user. They are part of the journey of developing the tool. That's a whole data product management is all about that you do the user, you know, research, you talk to the user. So think about a business problem that is never happens in isolation. Somebody upstream causing the problem, somebody downstream getting impacted. So when you are developing a data product, you want to be making sure that you are taking the holistic view of the, the problem that we can solve and the different group of people that we need to address their need and you engage them, right? So. To me, when I am try, trying to solve, uh, develop a data product, I say, okay, business user, you frame your question. What question you want me to answer through the data? You frame it, and the next question for me would be, you tell me how would you like the answer to be look like? Let them describe that. I want this way. Give me a, either a dashboard or give me alerts or give me a tension board, right? I think that's how you want their experience to come into discussion and you want to capture those kind of thinking into your, you know, the prototyping and, you know, uh, low fidelity, uh, high fidelity, whatever, you know, method we are going to follow. You capture those. Now, if they are part of the journey in the whole development process, that is when we know at the end we are going to, it's going to be adopted, right? So I think there are some traditional way of doing, and this is getting the product management. There's a quite a bit of difference. And you would think it's so obvious why we don't do it. Unfortunate. That's a reality. It's not being used. And I think as a, as, a, as a data practitioner myself, I have seen the success really well. And I always try to adopt even within the team and promote that, the data product management concept in developing the solutions. Yeah, yeah. You said a couple of good things. I, I, I wanted to challenge you on one thing. So I, I'm in agreement, you know, you can't, in my experience that this whole analyst go and get a list of requirements, take it back, deliver it to the people who execute on it. It feels really good because you got this list, like here are the instructions on what I want you to make for me, check everything off and then you'll be done. And it's like, great, I don't have to think, I just have to like go execute. The issue with that is that a list of nouns is not the same thing as an experience. And most people aren't going to list out an experience for you because users are not designers. Yep. Users don't, can't, most people cannot objectively look at their workflow. They don't think about at a 10,000 foot view, here's how I make a decision on pricing widgets for the next you know, two quarters, or here's how I do some audit, whatever. Like they're, they're not thinking of it that way. They're just going step-by-step step the way they always do it. And so that type of observation about how is it now, how much better could it be? Where are the friction points? It's very hard for a user to step out of their skin and say that. So I think you have to be very cautious about getting a customer or a user handing you a list of things to go make and assuming that if you just do that, you're going to have a great result in the end. So the thing I wanted to, to push back or ask you about is even when you ask them, how do you want to see it? 
to me, that's while there, there can be some validity in asking that question as a kind of a beginning of a conversation, like, well, I want to see it in Tableau. My challenge with that is like that may be there because that's the only tool they've ever seen a chart in and they actually think they need a chart. So they give you the, the tool that's the only one that they know how, even though let's say, well, yeah, but this is a traveling salesperson and Tableau doesn't work great on the phone. But they're telling you that because whenever they are on their laptop, they use Tableau. So they say, I would like it in Tableau because they can't imagine that, oh, my gosh, this could be in a mobile application or it could be an email sent to me. I don't actually even need to log into a tool. Talk to me a little bit about how much you accept that requirement that they give you in terms of how the interface should look or the user experience. I, I can see issues with that self-diagnosis going wrong or at least not so much wrong, but the users can't imagine how it could be better than the thing that they know what to tell you because that's what they know. I only know Excel, so I would like to get it in Excel. Well, of course you would because you use that tool all the time, but maybe there's actually a better way. You just don't know it. And that's the role of design and product. So put, t talk to me about that a little bit, like asking them what delivery format they want to see it in. Yeah. And that dance. Sure. So sorry, I didn't clarify that. Technology is never part of their, their ask. When I'm asking the business question, forget about the technology. We're not talking about whether we'll use Tableau, Excel. That is not part of the question. What I meant was by asking them more like UJ stories. Tell me what you want. The second element of that would be why you want, right? What is the rationale behind it, right? And who you are as a user. So your role, what you want and why you want, right? This could be at a very high level. Forget about technology. Mm -hmm. So somebody says, I want to take as a you know, technical lead on the shop floor. I want a decision to be made about when to go and uh, let's say I'm, I'm making up, take a decision for, let's say, ejecting a batch or ejecting a batch um, so that, you know, we can avoid, you know, further, you know, waste of time or something like that. It may not be a good, good example, but the point I'm trying to make is technology is not part of the solution. You tell me what you want. Now let's dive down into that exactly. So if you want something like that, what do you want to look like? Let's frame it more like a wireframe. Put them in, in, a, in a diagram, you know, a, a low fidelity kind of wireframing and things of that nature. You start jotting it down a little bit more and, and, and more and this. And also what's important for them. So when you get an answer, answer might have 10 pieces of information. Which one is more significant for them, right? And you keep that thing at the very top, right? So you prioritize what is important for them, giving them a bigger answer, right? If the answer is big, then what do they want to see, right? So I think I would not go with them, you know, discussing what technology and tools we are using. That's irrespective, that's agnostic. I think what I meant by that is that, how do you want the answer to look like as a user interface and experience you do that? Also navigate, right? So how do you want the thing to flow? So if I'm, if you're moving through the screen, right, how do you want to see what you want to see the first and second and third? And you go, there's a whole iterative process. I don't think you can get in everything in, in just one go, right? But the idea is that engage the user in defining the, your, the user interface and also experience, right? Fast, what do you exactly want? Give me only relevant to me. So anytime you design a system, if I am a soft floor, I'm not interested in a lot of many other things give me exactly what is relevant for me, right? So as a system designer, you want to filter everything out 
give me exactly what I'm looking for, right? So capture those kind of element in part of the designing of the system so that they can basically get a better experience and to adopt the solution. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, to clarify my question, I, I was actually talking about not so much that you're bringing in an implementation idea, but more they're requesting an implementation because that's what they think they know. Like, I would like a machine learning model that will do X. That That's a that's a loaded requirement statement, right? right? It, it assumes that you need machine learning at all. Or I would like a Tableau dashboard that will help me on the manufacturing floor. That's a bunch of nouns. It presumes a technology. It, it has no problem statement built into it. It's a tactic. And so it may or may not be correct, but it was more that when the, you know, I, and maybe this doesn't happen, but this is the kind of thing in design that we're always trying to look at objectively, make sure we've properly done the research and dug into why someone thinks they want that. And sometimes it's correct or it, it is the best logical path, but it's not always the best way to go do it right like sometimes that can change and, and maybe you're saying you find out through the the low fidelity prototyping work whether it's right and that's what i really do like about what you're doing is you know i just heard another designer frame it this way we're not designing products for them we're designing products with them and i think that's a great framing and when you're using low fidelity it allows you to do it with them because you don't spend all this time building the wrong thing up front and then it's really expensive time and money wise to go and change it. You're designing it with them. And I don't know, maybe that's how you arrive at a different destination. Potentially, even when they said, I think I want to go to Austin, we arrived in Los Angeles, but everyone's actually happy. You know, like, <laughs> is that talk to me a little bit about yeah. that? Like, no, I think that's a good point. And I'll give a very uh, couple of examples where when we talk to the user, and user states the problem, this is what I want. And I, I ask the question, okay, tell me. If you are the king, what do you want your solution to look like? And the guy said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So think about their point of view. They can state the problem, but they don't know what the answer looks like. That is a very weird, how do you know the problem if you don't know what the good looks like, right? So, so I think for them, it takes a couple of iterative process where I, have, I, I think I understand what they're saying, they're not able to convey. And then I go back and create the low fidelity a kind of prototype myself and next day I go and say is this what you mean I said yeah exactly that's what I mean right so I mean things of that nature sometimes user is not able to tell you what exactly they want what the output looks like so that's again I'll know it when I see it <laughs> that's right they'll say <laughs> right? what uh, exactly that's right right so I, th I think that's the reason that you made a very good point you want to design the solution with them not for them I mean that's really key yeah 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 and, you know, when I hear that, too, it's like, good, then that's exactly what we're going to do, because you're telling me I got to wait until I can see it. Great. That's what we're here to do is to actually help you do do that, because, you know, everybody has an opinion about design, but getting from the zero to the one of design is often a lot harder than getting from the one to the two. So doing this work of interviewing users, understanding what status quo looks like, understanding like, OK, if we're. If we're at a seven and we're trying to get a high score, what is a 20? Like, what does it mean to jump up more than 100% to get twice as good? Define what that means in words for now through conversation and then go and translate that into an experience and hope. And then you do that iteration to feel to, to figure out, are we actually getting towards that 20 marker that we're shooting for or not? And a lot of people can't get to the, the zero to one part is the hard lift, but it gets a lot easier if you really understand the problem space really well, that journey is usually a lot easier. I don't know if that's your experience too. 
hundred percent agree. I mean, that's that's exactly right. So the beginning is definitely they start, you know, the difficult time, right? Once you get into that, I think it's a much much becomes much easier uh, basically do that. I I agree with that. Yeah. So tell me in general, like, do you feel like user adoption of data products, at least in the Merck manufacturing division, is that not really a challenge for you? Is this an ongoing challenge? Like, how is that challenge for you guys at all, if at all? Like, how would you, on a scale of one to 10? No, I think adoption is always a challenge, right? This is not one thing that we've seen. It's very common almost everywhere. So think about the human being. They have been working in certain ways for the last 10, 20, 15 years. What do you think that they will change overnight and to do that, right? So I think adoption, if they're used to it, even they're spending a lot of time. So think about someone is spending, you know, two hours, three hours a day doing some non-value add using Excel sheet. You are giving a solution for them to do in five minutes. Some there are people, you know, and usually the human nature to register the change in order. I'm three hours is fine. I'm, I'm used to it. I can do it in my sleep. It's Excel sheet. I just pulled number here and there. Yeah, 15 minutes. Yeah, I have to go and do some extra work. And, you know, I'm happy where I am, right? So I think there's a whole whole shift of the, the mind thinking, and especially in a data culture, right? So data is powerful. I can tell you that in, in, in normal situation, not everybody sees the data value in the same way. And, and there's a whole gradual progression in how someone sees the value of the data and success. I have seen the users who were never a kind of uh, understood what data can do for them. But once they got a small piece and I said, oh my goodness, how about this? And you see, that's why we're starting the point is, so you said the very beginning piece is the major piece. Once the user is in that dialogue, the data can do for them, then they are there basically to go to the level that, you know, even we as a product uh, leaders, our data science leaders, we never imagine where the user can take you. I think I'd follow on to what you just said. It's it's also really important if you're in this product management role, even if you're in an internal you know, enterprise organization, part of that lens, I think, is understanding, does this person actually want this help too? It's not just that like, wow, machine learning would be a great application here. We could blow this roof off this place with business value. Yes, technically that might be true. And maybe you have all the ingredients to bake an amazing predictive model and all this kind of stuff. But if that person doesn't want it and they don't want to make the change, it doesn't matter how ripe of a data science or analytics problem it is, right? You have to make an impact in their life on a problem that they care about, right? Like I dread, I hate using this spreadsheet and doing four hours a month. Oh my God, the end of the month cycle, like it kills me. Those are the kinds of things where you're probably going to hit a home run, even if the technology piece was small. And, and tell me if I'm wrong, but if you solve their headache, that four hour headache they have every month, not only do they get a taste of what data can do for them, but they maybe they're getting hooked a little bit now on, well, where else can this help me out? You're starting to build trust there and you're, build, you're, you're creating an impact because you changed someone's life, even though the business got some value, which is like John's not wasting four hours a month, like punching numbers into a spreadsheet. Now his brain can be doing more strategic work. And then there's some downstream business value and the data is accurate and there's less guessing, which means the predictions are all better. Like you can roll it downstream and see the outcomes, but it started with making that impact in someone's life. Do you see that as well? Where like solving it at a human level is kind of that first step to getting the business value piece 
Well, that is such a great point, Brian. Absolutely. I think, so, Yeah. you know, one of the element of making any data product successful is the change management, right? So when we talk about change management, it, it's about three elements of that, right? So what three things you're changing? Number one, you're changing the process, the way they have been working, right? That you're now going to be a new process. Technology might be different element. And the most critical element is the people side, the human side, the change in the human side, right? Why should somebody see, can they see the value in there? Can, can you make them buy in? If you develop a solution and they have not bought into that, I guarantee you they're not going to adopt it. So I think how do you manage the change to make them buy in? And I think that is the very critical piece is can you make them, right? So getting the buy-in, but other thing is do they have the knowledge and capability to make that happen as well? So do they have a confidence? So somebody can say, hey, listen, yeah, this is a good tool, but I'm not good at technology. I don't know how to handle, you know, the computer, right? So giving the solution, they, they like the idea, but they don't have capability to use that idea um, to, to get the, the value out of that, right? So I think these are some of the elements of change management. So if somebody, so then now you have to talk about changing the culture of the people. So make them data literacy program, how to handle computers, for example, right? So now you have to move that piece as part of the change process in order to make that adoption, you know, at the next level. If you think about it. and there's a whole gradual progression, right? So if you think about that, you know, 60,000 people, right? Not everybody is the same level, right? The literacy programs, it's a whole data culture element that basically comes as part of the data change management process uh, overall. Tell me, how do you count? What are the metrics for adoption? Like we're talking about, we, we said that this model increases it. So it suggests that we had some baseline and we know it increased like how do you count that adoption went up? Like, what are your metrics for measuring adoption and then downstream value? And can you tell us what some of the, what is the value that this process has created? Like, can you quantify any of that for us? What, what this, what this method has brought to, to Merck or in your previous work? In terms of the metrics, one is the, the very true not, which is the business outcome. So think about we are solving a problem. Let's say in this one solution that I'm referring to is, it's basically creating the insights that can help the people at the shop floor to improve the yield, right? And reduce the false ejects, for example, right? So if, if the insights are getting created and you establish the baseline and you see that just by the system being used and you're able to deliver the yield that you're looking for, somebody is using the system because without use, you won't be able to do that, right? But that's a true knot. Prior to that, I think the adoption comes in Let's understand how the system's being used. Can we track the log of who is going and doing what? How many reports have you created, right? So for example, in our case, in certain cases that we have seen is the number of analysis that has been created the last six months, right? So if you're analyzing the data, you're creating the lot more analysis, you're addressing the issues. And on production floor, you know, there's always some issue that you have to that. So there's, we're maintaining the log, how many issues we are addressing using this specifically tool, right? So those are some of the factor, um, how, many, how much time has been spent by the users. We can basically track that as well. So if the people are spending time on your system, you know they're not sitting idle, they're doing something, right? So the time used and how many reports that have been created, right? There's a whole number of problems that are being solved. There are use cases basically that has been identified that this system is being used for multiple use cases. 
let's understand how many use cases we have solved this and how we are basically applying. So there are multiple factors in terms of the user's time, the number of people using it, how many use cases have been kind of, uh, this tool has been used for, and the very true not is what business outcome has been basically delivered. Got it, got it. Do you do any testing of the users using the live systems at all to see if the tools once in production are actually as easy and, and valuable as we thought? Because the metrics of like counting reports and looking at log statistics and all that, it is an indicator. But for example, time spent using the tool can also be a tax. It can be, wow, they're spending nine hours a week on this. Like that was not what we we thought in 15 minutes, like a day, that should be plenty. Why are they, what are they doing spending nine hours? Like we've actually introduced a tax here. So how do you know that the time is well spent and that they're actually getting the value out? Like, is that, do you just count? Like, for example, like, well, what did, did the yield on the floor go up? Like we have 10% less rejects and it's correlates with the date we went into production. So we kind of associate that, that business metric with the launch of this tool. Is, is that kind of how you do that or? That's definitely one matrix at the end of the day, what the business cares is, you know, whatever the time you spend in the system, tell me what you deliver for the, you know, the outcome. That's how basically you measure. But in terms of the adoption, what I meant was not necessarily, I would say the number of users are really important. So think about what is the target audience? What is the number of customers and how many people are going there? So let's say we designed a system that we know this system would be used by, you know, 100 people. Okay. Average, let's track down how many people on, on a given day they are using it, right? Uh, average time is spent on that. So not only the time is spent, but how many number of people that we're basically using it, right? We are not sophisticated to the level that where you do the web analytics, where Google and other people are really going and tracking and, you know, they're tracking every move, right? So we are not a situation where you're tracking the funnel, for example. So if the user goes on the, on the website, try to buy a product, right? And you see where, where does the user drop, right? They were searching and they click the button, they put in the shopping cart, and that's where they basically dropped, right? We're not, in this particular case, we're not in the manufacturing side, we're not using tracking the level. Okay, where did you go in the system? You dropped it. Uh, ideally, and someday I think we might be able to do it, but I think our metrics is a little more higher level than that. Got it, got it. It just, I, I want to throw in that there are qualitative and quantitative methods of doing this, but actually doing ride-along interviews where you actually watch, in this case, like uh, this is a very common thing that a user experience professional would do would be to go and watch someone on the shop floor, like at Merck, for example, watching them use this tool in the context of their real job, very much an ethnographic kind of approach there. Another way is to actually give them tasks in a lab setting where you, you give them realistic tasks, like your job is to make sure the number of you know pill bottles going out the door is as high as possible and if the system suggests to reject it's your you know your job to choose whether or not actually it should be rejected or not and you give them some tasks there and the tool and you watch how they go do that and you figure out where are they spending too much time too much friction you look for places where the design is failing them so that you can then switch that that can then give you that good benchmark for like okay on average people should be able to do this in about seven minutes. So if we look at our quant stats now, and we see some like people that are spending hours that on a high level, it says something might be wrong here. Like what's going on? Why are these people spending so much more time? You know, are they doing research? Are they running custom reports? Like what are they doing? And it gives us some signal about where we might want to co go continue our research work. 
But I don't want to get too much on a tangent with all of that. I, I wanted to jump to some of the financial or business impact that you've seen with this. It, you know, I understand you could you can only share what you can share, but even on order of magnitude, like how has this approach shown its value in terms of the business impact? Is there anything you can quantify about how you know we we built this data product? for the manufacturing floor and you know before it was like this and after it's it's like that can you tell us a little bit about how any impact that you can actually measure yeah so um, brian that depends on the on the data products mm-hmm. we are at least uh, i am part of the multiple data products but right one use case where uh, we developed a, a, a data product where uh, it is providing the insights for shop floor uh, team members uh, as to if the project getting ejected from the production line and some of them are good product, right? It is giving them insight as to what is happening and what kind of defects are these. Now, those insights are very instant and the, you know, the decision maker take that information, understand as to what is happening in the system. So for example, if they see that there's a lot of well marks defects coming in, right? In the process in this particular batch, they can easily go back and see, you know what, well marks happens because when we sterilize the, you know, vial and syringe, you wash them and you freeze them. Now, if there's a moisture left while the washing process before you go to the freezer, those things are stuck. All of a sudden, basically, you, you see assembly line, the well mark. They can go up the steam process, tell them the next batch you run it, your sterilization process and freezing process was not correctly done. Once you do that, you're not going to be you know, getting that same insights, right? So there are different types of defects. So in order, and these are some of the insights that you could never get easy. So we're talking about so, so many images. Humanly, it is not possible at the end of the batch, which images are defective, what kind of defect it is. It's almost impossible. You don't have time to wait for the next batch, right? You got to finish fairly quickly, right? There's, there's no time for that, right? So you want a tool that can give you the insights before you launch the next batch, what are the insights can we create so that we can adopt the change, right? So this one example. Now, if we are able to use this tool to improve the yield, you have already invested all the raw material, labor, machinery cost, all the time has been basically spent. So all the time is spent. So what we're trying to do is we want to capture at the very end, right? So the impact is if the yield has improved, let's say, by 0.25 right? Even 25% mm-hmm. depends on the number of vials, the cost is, and, you know, different product costs, different money. You can basically compute that and get that. Now we're talking millions of dollars. This is not a few hundred thousand dollars actually as such to do that. And depends which product this model is working on. Some products are more expensive than other ones. And sometimes rejection is high, right? So rejection is high, then sometimes it could be up to, you know, 5%, right? If you can bring down by cut down to 3%, all of a sudden you see that. So not all the machines are kind of same ejection rate. There are different product, different, and, and depends on how much we are capturing. But this is a real value. This is a real value that's being basically delivered. And we're talking, sub, you know, tens of millions of dollars, you know, savings over a period of time. Got it. So, so just so I can recap and imagine, like, We've got a, a, a factory floor with uh, syringes and vials going through it, and there's a pile off to the right side, which is suggested rejects or something like this. You built a data product that can help tell, 
should these really be rejected or should, are they just fine? And if you can reduce the number of false rejects, the, the rejects that actually are just fine and get those back into production, we're not wasting good product. And, and effectively, is that is that correct? Is that what your tool helps the, the manufacturing person do? Yeah, so just to let you know that we are not allowed as a pharmaceutical process. Once your system rejected those units, you cannot do the manual inspection, put it back. Mm-hmm. That is basically not allowed because that's a GMP process, good manufacturing process. What the system does is, looks at those, all the ejected material and images coming out, goes through the model and gives you the analysis of what exactly happened, what kind of defect the system ejected. Oh, I see. Now you can take the information for the next batch. I see. And it. Got it. So you're giving insights on how, what do I need to change about my production process to not have that That's right. false. Okay. And then you can measure before and after. Like That's right. on average, we have this fewer rejects now yep. coming out and, and there's a multi-million dollar business value coming from that. I see. Great. That's awesome. VJ, tell me a little bit, you know, if this all sounds really nice and all of that, okay, I'm sold. I work at a, you know, pharma company or I work in a similar organization. I want to dip my toe in that pond because that, that sounds really good over there. What do I need to do if I'm a you at another company? I'm a director of data science as well. I've got a team. We're shipping stuff all the time. A lot of it's not really getting used. Don't really know the business impact. That way sounds neat. How do I get started? Like, what do I do? Like literally this week or next quarter, if I'm planning for this change, tell me how to get started. What would I do? Yeah. So a couple of things are really key in order to make that happen. Of course, you know, having the business strategy where the business want to do, what business challenges are there, right? Mm -hmm. So as a leader, I think you want to be able to identify those challenges where if we deliver that, then we are going to have that uh, impact the business. Once basically that is done, think about in order to make all the models right, you need a data, right? And I can tell you that in data has been so many challenge. So today, for example, we gave earlier, not all the machines are saving the images of the ejected products that we talked about. So before we go and deploy the solution, one of the things that you have to do is you have to go and, and plummet the pipeline to capture those images for those ejected product on the floor. Otherwise, even you deploy the model that you don't have anything to feed to, right? So now we've got a data challenge that we have to basically solve it, right? So you got to have a team of people who are really good at data engineering part, right? Because that's really, really key. So that's the one work stream we need to make that happen, right? Then the whole data science team that has to happen, the, the model piece, right? So computer vision is Technology in this particular case, right? So you need an expert on that. And I think having a good team, Brian, is that's what makes people are the one who make things happen, right? You have all technology, everything else is looks good. You have a data, but the people are the one who will make things happen. So having a team um, with the right skill set and follow a standard approach. We talked about the data product management concept design thinking, really critical piece. Uh, you better bring somebody from that knowledge to do that. You want to manage the, the change as a leader. If you have to be good at that, um, managing the business sponsor, they should be part of the business leader, should be part of that, right? So you want to make it so that you are a data science leader who can basically manage the change from the people, the process of technology in the process as well, right? So we talked about the data. First of all, business value, then talk about the data, 
then bringing the the right people into the mix managing the change right to do that i think having those elements and take a more like agile approach sometimes you may not be able to deliver everything in one go right so there's a whole product roadmap that you want to develop so you show the success in a small piece because there's a whole continuous investment that has to be made by the organization so you cannot ask 10 million dollars in one go you want to have a product deliver something now you make the case you make the next release here's the next investment we want to make you you make your case to be successful that way as well um to do that so i think those are some of the elements as a data science leader i think you want to be looking into yeah yeah is there just kind of in closing here and this, this that's a great recipe for people i think to go try out potentially in their organization if they want to you know dip their toe in this data product pond so to speak is there one thing about this kind of topic this whole conversation we've been talking about something that you learned that you wish you had known a lot earlier something that you had to maybe learn the the slow and hard way that you might share with people who are kind of on a similar journey but maybe they're not quite where you're at yet with what you're doing yeah i mean there have been many many things one thing i i can tell you is that at one time that was prior to work but i learned my lessons actually where i developed a solution and i thought this solution is going to be you know, easy to deploy. Mm -hmm. And I never consider as a lead of the team that there's going to be challenges when you go to deploy it, right? And I'll give you a specific example where we whereby we're we're trying to deploy this solution and the data that was feeding was for the remote place. The very remote area is more like in a jungle, right? And the speed the data was supposed to be coming to this model that was being hosted in the cloud. There was a lag between the data because the communication line was really weak, right? So I couldn't implement the solution because the latency in the data just could not basically make on the time that we wanted to do that. So all the work and hard work that went that is really bad situation to be in. So I would say that when you develop the solution, you want to consider, can this be deployed? Can you face, and I will specifically look for the data side of it. So you can have a model, but now once you deploy the model, you got to feed the data continuous. Can you see any challenges in that aspect of that? I think that comes to my mind in a very technology point of view. And other element, I, I think I, as I matured, you know, as a data science leader, I think the people aspect, I pay much more attention to that. I mean, how do you make people motivate to be part of your team? What exactly are they giving you in the back, right? So looking after their interest, what their aspirations are. And you want to make sure that you got a strong team and a motivated team to basically deliver. And human spirit is something you cannot believe how stretchable it is. If the people are motivated, you have less resources, less technology, they will still achieve it. And in the new you know, time, I, I think I pay really a lot close attention on those elements. In the past, I wish I had done more of those. Yeah. Yeah. I hear this a lot. Uh, it, it comes up all the time and it makes sense, right? We're all humans. We're all feelings. And I think sometimes the technology and the data and all, all these, all the possibility of what we can do now, especially, you know, in this kind of modern era that we're in where we don't have some of the technical constraints, it sounds like, why wouldn't somebody want this? Like, why, how would someone ignore this? Like, I can't imagine that world. And yet it, it, it continues to be a challenge all the time for many organizations. So I think it's it's great insight to really be focused on that. I mean, it's it's a big part of my work too, is how much the human behavior part and and how do I incentivize someone to change? And as I recommend to, you know, my seminar training participants and stuff like that, 
part of this and what's known to work well is how do you make this person's life better within the scope of how they already live and work and do their stuff? Like, don't try to introduce a change. Try to introduce an improvement to the way they're already doing it now so that the tax is, is less, right? You're, you're trying to minimize any type of imposition on them and, and make it so much obvious why, why this is better without that disruption. That's really the key, I think, to the adoption piece there and, and really centering it on how is it going to be better for them? Because if, if they don't feel how it's better for them, then it's just another another hoop to jump through, right? Another form I have to fill out when I want to get my expense reimbursement. Another like, oh, enrollment for whatever. Like it's yet another one of those things, another tool, another task, another report. And the, and the more we can reduce those taxes on people, the more they're going to say, wow, like they, they really build great stuff for me and I feel more empowered. Like it, it does come down to that human that human thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. well said. Absolutely. BJ, this has been great. Uh, where can people get in touch with you? You hang on LinkedIn, social media, anywhere. If someone wants to kind of follow your your work and postings or anything like that, tell us where. Sure. So I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I think folks can find. And uh, you know, I I always mentor and help people, you know, succeed in their career. So I I mentor people inside my work and outside. I help them out. So I can be easily accessible on LinkedIn if um, someone wants to brainstorm and ideas, the data analysis strategy, or anything else, you know, and sometimes I see this interaction, not that I'm giving something to them, I'm learning from them as well. So I think it's, it's a win-win. If anybody wants to brainstorm, you know, new ideas, uh, I think that's the best way to learn for both sides. Cool, cool. Well, we'll, we'll uh, dig out your LinkedIn link and we'll put that into the show notes and everything. So thank you again for coming on Experiencing Data and, and sharing your thoughts and ideas. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.